You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers produce over 600 varieties, types, and styles of cheese. That's twice as much as any other state. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. Hello, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Elena Santagate. My guests today are Hadley and David Kreitz, co-founders of Daily Driver, the first ever urban creamery in San Francisco. In addition to being a creamery, Daily Driver is a cafe that also features wood-fired bagels and local coffee roaster Red Bay Coffee. Hadley has been the head cheesemaker at Tamales Farmstead Creamery for the past five years, and David both designed Daily Driver itself and developed the bagel recipe. For this new endeavor, they've partnered with the owners of Tamales Farmstead Creamery and Tuluma Farms, Tamara Hicks and David Jablons. Hadley and David, welcome to Cutting the Curd. Thank you so much for Thanks having for us. Thanks for having us. <laughs> so, first of all, you've just landed from San Francisco. And I'm very excited that you're here in studio, in person with me, because this is a real treat to talk to a San Francisco-based business, but here. So thanks for trekking out to Brooklyn. We're so excited to be here. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get to the sort of like big questions first. Why open an urban creamery? I'm sure I'm not the first one to ask. Why go through the trouble? Why the hassle of making in the city? Uh, Tell me a little bit about that thinking. I think, I mean, firstly, we like the idea of food transparency. Mm. We like the idea of people being able to see where their food comes from. A lot of the kind of mantra behind Tuluma Farms and Tamales Farms at Creamery is education. Mm. And um, Tamara and David have worked really hard to make sure that people come out to the farm and see where milk, how milk is made. Mm. And yeah that it's from female goats. <laughs> Believe it or not, I've had to answer that question many times. <laughs> um, and then how the cheese is actually made. So I think that's part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Also, it's never happened before, which right. is really exciting for people to experience what's happening with food right now. I mean, everybody wants to get involved and be immersive and, mm-hmm. and uh, understand where their food's coming from. So why not bring it directly to the source? Right. You're pioneers in that sense out there on the West Coast. <laughs> we have some urban creameries scattered throughout the country. There's one here in New York, Beecher's, does uh, cheese making right in the middle of Manhattan, which yeah. is an, an endeavor that I'm hoping you get to visit while you're here. Yes, definitely. Um, but tell me a little bit about the products that you're making. We're making um, a cultured butter. So I've always loved butter. I come from mm-hmm. more of a farming background than a cheese making background. So butter to me is something where you can see kind of like what the cows are eating and what season it is and how the farm practices are occurring just based on one, almost like a terroir of 
with wine. It's very mm. similar to and that. And you feel butter. like you can get to that through butter yeah. more directly. Oh, absolutely. Why is that? Well, I mean, even uh, our butter comes from Jersey cows mm-hmm. exclusively. So the color is very intense. I right. mean, when the, when the pastures are vibrant, so is our butter. When mm-hmm. our pastures are brittle, so is our butter. Mm. So it's something that I love to like equate and kind of see happening in the creamery in yeah, that regard. Yeah, you can point to that really easily, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we also do uh, cork, which is a, a German mm-hmm. cheese, mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of has that uh, Greek yogurt slash cottage cheese mouthfeel mm-hmm. combined. It's this beautiful cheese. It's all it is is milk and cultures. There's nothing else to it. Amazing. So again, it's very pure. Is cork? <clears throat> I, sometimes I think of it like like fresh chev, but usually made with cow's milk, and. Yeah. You're, you're saying there's a little more texture to it. A little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny. If you Google cork, mm-hmm. it comes up with every type of texture. I mean, anything from a feta crumbly down mm. to something that's like a whipped perfect yogurt. Right. So in the beginning, I was actually whipping the cork because <laughs> I felt like I wasn't getting the right look of it. Right. Um, but in reality, it's actually you want some of that texture to it, which mm. is really great. And it's it's literally just milk and cultures. There's nothing else to it. Um so the milk does all the work, which mm. is, I find, really beautiful. Right. Um, yeah. We also do a cream cheese, of course, because it's a bagel. Yes, good. I'm happy you have <laughs> a that. bagel bakery. Um, that's like the impetus of having the creamery there, of mm-hmm. course. And our cream cheese has been interesting. We've had to kind of educate our customers that cream cheese is something that's not necessarily... Um, flexible uh, like a Philadelphia it's something Mm. that's actually really beautiful and tangy and a little Mm -hmm. bit whipped and has maybe a little bit of a different mouthfeel than you're used to so would you say your cream cheese is a bit lighter it is lighter yeah cool yeah we have to add just a teeny tiny bit of cream Mm -hmm. Um, but other than that it's just again it's very similar to just the milk doing the work Mm -hmm. which is great yeah and then of course you have the bagels the bagels bagels. (laughs) (laughs) and what flavored bagels do you have um, all of our bagels, we've added a couple recently. So previously, all of our bagels were a pretty standard mm-hmm. um, plain bagel with whatever seeds right. happen on top classic of them. So we were hitting topping. the classics, right? Mm-hmm. The everything, the garlic, the salt. Onion? The I'm onion. an onion bagel yeah, fan. Absolutely. Okay, the onion, good. the poppy, Great. the sesame. Yeah. <laughs> recently, we've added, um, we took on a baker. It's this amazing guy, Rene. He's an Austrian baker who brought a potato bagel on. Whoa. Yeah, which is unbelievable. He just came out with a rye which is using a pumpernickel flour, and then also a cinnamon raisin. Wow. Yeah. So I think we're at nine right now. (laughs) Very cool. Yeah. So this all comes together in the cafe. And uh, tell me a little bit about, I'm curious how often people are trying all of these things in their bagels or how much people are doing just sort of like standard cream cheese. Like, have you had a big learning challenge with quark in getting people to think of that as a bagel topping or what's that been like yeah we actually do something like a cork cup so something that's Mm. like maybe an alternative to a gluten extra product like a bagel got it um with a little topping jams or treat it kind of like a parfait which is really nice so it's but we have i mean you've taken samples before of the cork and cream cheese and bagels and people put both on and don't Mm -hmm. kind of realize that it's not necessarily a standard bagel topping yeah Mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah, the cream cheese having such being such a kind of original sort of cream cheese has gotten people interested in what else can I put on the bagel, especially in this particular instance. So hmm. the cork, the ghee has been a bagel topping, um, obviously the butter, and we've just gotten into mixing things up with the cream cheese and starting to go to that place, the veggie and the jalapeno and nice. all those different places, which is a lot of fun. Getting wild. Yeah, yeah getting wild, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And David... Do you have a bagel background? I have zero bagel background. So did you have bagel dreams? How did this come to be that you're the bagel guy? <laughs> I had a bagel request from <laughs> David Jablons and Tamara Hicks, obviously the farm owners. Mm-hmm. And uh, David is an Italian Jew from right here in New York City. Nice. Uh, born and bred. And so when the cream cheese came about at the creamery up north in mm-hmm. Marin, um, I had built them a wood-fired oven on their farm there. Oh, and I, I was see. making pizzas, not too dissimilar from here. And, um, I, yeah, I let it slip that I could make bagels. Mm-hmm. How hard could it be? And then <laughs> I went into the prototyping phase and, you know, a few months later had something I thought was really good. Wow. And yeah, so we tested it around the people that we trusted their palates and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's been just crazy ever since then. Yeah. So when did you open? daily driver middle of june yeah the middle, middle of june, of june. Yeah. it's like a bit so, of a blur yeah a few months yeah. Yeah. but you i'm very <laughs> impressed that you're already taking a little break <laughs> yeah i mean it's amazing for us we've been working on it like any restaurant for two and a half plus right. yeah. years yeah. Mm-hmm. so it feels like it's about time yeah. for us yeah. but yes it's also exactly well yeah. it's the mark of a good opening that you can that that's actually almost like a finish line of sorts totally. in a big way that then you have some space to breathe yes yeah yeah and how big is your staff? We have 23 employees right now. Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's pretty sizable. And all of us founders, the four partners are all involved in the business. So mm-hmm. we're all actually working there also. So, um, you know, Hadley, you, I mentioned at the top of the show that you were involved, you were the head cheesemaker up in Marin yeah. at Tamales Farmstead Creamery. Are you still making cheese there also? Or no. what is, yeah. So okay. I was, I started as an apprentice there okay. long ago. And I that actually, was your first cheese making It was my first endeavor? cheese making, not my first dairy endeavor. Okay. The first cheese making endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually met Tamara, who's the owner of the farm, and mm-hmm. David and I went on a Tinder date on the same day, <laughs> so it was felt like moons were aligned. Wow, that's a big day. <laughs> it was a big day. That's that's incredible. Very <laughs> efficient. Was, yes, um, but so I was actually an apprentice, a farm apprentice there, and then mm. I kind of moved, wore many hats, was a farm manager there for a little while, and then started making cheese, mm-hmm. um, and loved the cheese making part of it. Mm. Um, what I, did you love about it? I loved kind of the routine of mm. everything. The routine, but the non-routine. The milk was always right. changing constantly, right. so you, it was always problem-solving. But the idea of making the same cheese on the same day and striving for that kind of same quality every time. Mm-hmm. I also love seeing how the milk changed with the seasons, kind of what I was talking about before. With the butter. Like mm-hmm. Something that's super fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, with goat and sheep milk, which is what we were working with at Tamales Farmside Creamery, um, a little bit less uh, obvious than mm. it was with, with the, the Jersey. yellow yeah. Jersey milk, mm-hmm. um, which was still kind of fun. It's like a treasure hunt, figuring out the different pieces of what has changed with yeah. the proteins and the sugars and the this and that. So. How long would you say it took you to have kind of like a feeling for that, to really be able to identify those changes? Still working on it. Yeah. 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 Um, Every season is completely different. Mm. I think I know since Tamales Farmstead Creamery is a farmstead creamery, mm-hmm. I actually had like 
kind of a cheat sheet from the farmer. So I knew what was happening. Right, insider you know? info. Yeah, so then I was able to kind of like equate things that were happening in the creamery. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So then now you're solely based in the city. We are in the city, mm-hmm. yes. And this whole time leading up to Daily Driver, had you been commuting from the city to Marin, to the farm, or were you living more of a rural existence? We were living rurally. Okay. Yeah, we were up in Tamales. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a small little water tower that we lived in, and I was driving to San Francisco on the daily to, you know, do everything with the general contractors and meet with architects and whatnot. Got it. During the building phase. Yeah, so mm-hmm. year and a half or so of that. Wow. Mm-hmm. And what about now? Where do you live? We moved. Okay. So pre-opening, we moved to Piedmont, which is where I was before all the magic happened. <laughs> we alluded to with a Tinder date. And <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that. Yeah, yeah. So I love funny. it. And, I totally uh, love it. Yeah, so we moved back there with our daughters and, mm-hmm. you know, got reintegrated. And while we were starting this business, figured out where the schools were going to be, you know, all that stuff that you Wow, so this is a big shift. Big it shift. It is a big shift, yeah. How yeah. has it been uprooting, not, like, not, you're not only opening a whole new business, but totally changing the landscape of your lives with two little kids. Did you say two, two kids? A three-year-old two. and a two-year-old. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. yeah. So uh, were you, was that part of it, the move into a more urban space? Was that part of the draw in terms of starting this new business? Or how did you feel about that like initially? I don't know that we knew what we were going to do once it opened. I think we just kind of thought, here's this challenge, and we're going to just kind of roll with it. Mm-hmm. And um, it made the most sense for us to go back to the city mm. to be able to be there. And I think we realized like the importance of us being there all the time versus, right. you know, spending that much time on the road. Yeah. 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 But it's been amazing. I mean, it's so exciting. It's been so exciting the whole time. It's yeah. different all the time. And we're always having to problem solve and figure out how to make it work. And to this day, we're still, you know, who's going to babysit? And I'm get it there. And, you know. <laughs> so would you say that it has more in common with your rural living than you expected or more different? I think, I mean, we were living to give you an idea in a 300 square foot water tower. that was basically like a lighthouse on route one, which is amazing and beautiful. and sounds sort of incredible in its own way, but 300 square feet with four people. It's a (laughs) hundred square feet stacked on top of each other too. It's a very strange setup. Wow. Um, But we had again, two teeny children and Mm -hmm. a large sheep dog and, (laughs) It felt and great 160 at the time. acres of farm to go to. So the right. farm was right there to go to, right. which was wonderful. So you mostly yeah. lived outside, I take it. Exactly. A lot of, yeah. Yeah. Lot of time. yeah. But so it feels good to be in the city. It just feels different. It mm-hmm. feels like now we all live in one level and we can walk places. Mm. And oh, right. Yeah. And I'm kind of, I used to live in New York, so it, I feel like I'm getting reacclimated to living in a city again, which right. feels you know what it normal. feels like. Yeah, it feels yeah. good. Feels yeah, good. totally. Do you have yeah. any more square feet? A teeny bit. Oh, man. I know yeah. how that is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, wow. So you're, you're doing this whole endeavor. You're not really sure that you're even going to end up moving your family full time. Um, what would you say has been the most surprising thing that's happened since you opened For me, I think kind of the innovative spirit of the employees that have come on Mm. that we work with, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's, 
in the catering and events realm, whether whether it's in the kitchen, whether it's in the baking, people have brought all of kind of their expertise and mm. have kind of shined a light on the things that we already knew we were going to do and improved on them, mm. which has been really great. I mean, we kind of had an idea what our menu was going to be going in and how we were going to produce things. And then once everyone got together and collaborated, it became kind of this other sort of fluid object that was kind of blurbing its way through space and it's constantly changing and mm-hmm. constantly interesting um that i didn't expect so that's a yeah. pleasant surprise yeah i think for me it, i was a surprise that the creamery aspect worked oh, yeah. <laughs> that we could bring like milk into the city yes. and everything that i had been kind of envisioning in terms of function and systems mm-hmm. and relaying to david and to contractors and trying to get things work actually mm-hmm worked. I think the first time we put milk into the vat that came from the udder that I picked up the other day, I was like, wow, <laughs> this is shocking. And surprisingly faster yeah. than the other yeah. sort of disciplines that we were doing. And mm. we, I definitely thought that was going to take the longest time to get through health, to get through California right. Department of Agriculture, mm. whatnot. Um, but it was done first. It huh. passed 100%, like no problem. And I th- and maybe part of it's just kind of like that we've never seen this before. We're going to throw our hands up sort of situation. Right, so you guys can kind of define the terms <laughs> right. in a nice way. It's been a really, yeah, it's been a really interesting journey that way. I mean, yeah. even from the like being able to move certain dairy products through vehicles from one place to another, there had been right. no precedence for. So, hmm. you know, everybody's kind of looking at their rule book and they don't really know what to say. So we're you know, breaking some You're ground sort there, of the beta. Is, yeah, yeah exactly. it's really fun that way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's exciting. I have so many follow-up questions, but okay. <laughs> we're going to pause okay. and jump to a quick break and uh, listeners will be right back to talk more about bringing milk to the city and everything that ensues. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Katie Kiefer, and I'm the host of What Doesn't Kill You here on HRN. Every week, I sit down with journalists, authors, scientists, or activists to identify and explain some of the key issues in our food system. I've done shows on food waste, labor issues, meat production, water, you name it, I cover it. You can find What Doesn't Kill You wherever you listen to podcasts, and on heritageradionetwork.org. Since the mid-1800s, before Wisconsin was even recognized as a state, its resident cheesemakers have been putting the art into artisan cheese. When early settlers from Switzerland, Germany, and Italy came to Wisconsin, they brought their cheesemaking expertise with them. They chose Wisconsin because the terroir reminded them of the homes they'd left behind in Northern Europe. The soil and water of Wisconsin is nurtured by the goodness of glacial sediment, and those elements lend themselves to the very best milk. Today, Wisconsin's cheesemakers draw from their rich European heritage and cheesemaking traditions, and combine them with incredible innovation to produce half of the nation's specialty cheese. Wisconsin cheesemakers never stop experimenting, trying to improve, and dreaming of your next favorite cheese that has yet to be imagined. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome 
Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm Elena Santigade, and I'm here with Hadley and David Kreitz of Daily Driver in San Francisco. Okay, so there were a bunch of things that you each mentioned right before the break that I want to talk more about. First on the list is how do you get milk to the creamery? So you bring milk from Marin, from Tamales Farms to... Or, uh, Silva Family Dairy. Oh, okay. Say it again. Silva Family Dairy. Oh, okay. So they're actually sixth and seventh generation dairy farmers in in Tamales. Got it. They're Jersey cow dairy. And so did you know them when you were making cheese out there? Yeah. So one of the cheeses that we make at Tamales Farms and Creamery, excuse me, uh, uses their milk. We make something called Talika. That's Mm -hmm. a cow, goat, and sheep, almost Mm. like a Latour. And that's where the cow comes from. Yeah. Okay, got it. So that's where you're getting your milk. How far is it traveling to get into your location in San Francisco? It's traveling about 70 miles. Okay. Yeah, and it's coming. It was, um, I went through all different kind of systems of how it would get there. Hmm. We landed on using what's basically like a 300-gallon tote, like an industrial tote to move liquid. Wow. Uh, Yeah, it's with a bladder and a hose and a motor and the whole thing. And we have a refrigerated truck. So Okay. Once a week, I go up to the farm. I talk to the farmer. They're good friends of mine. And mm-hmm. um, I take half of the milk over to Mollus Farmstead Creamery, which is about a three-mile drive. Okay. Uh, actually, I take it all there. I use half in the creamery to separate it into cream for the butter. Ah, so you're doing your first step out there. First step. Pasteurize and separate. Which makes yeah. sense because it wouldn't make so much sense to truck all of that milk into the city and then only and use part of exactly, it, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, so half of it gets separated there, half mm-hmm. of it goes down to the city. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And I so know. then when you're bringing it into the city, do you? how do you get the timing right? Like how important is it that you do your sort of milk transfer at a certain time of day? Oh, yeah. Do, what is traffic? Is it like a nightmare? It, when do you do it? Are you doing it in the middle of the night? Yeah. <laughs> that would make a lot more sense, well, I think, actually. Well, in some ways, <laughs> but also not yeah. in other ways. We pick up after milking is complete on mm-hmm. Tuesdays, which is usually around 9 a.m. Um, so I wait for the farmers to finish, pick up all the milk. They take, uh, we've got an amazing delivery driver named Alex. Hey, Alex. Hey, Alex. <laughs> Yay. Delivery drivers <laughs> are so important. He's yeah. So he's awesome. He drives it in this like short little refrigerated truck down mm-hmm. to the city and he has it there for us when we get there Wednesday morning. So Wednesday morning we pasteurize right away. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're pasteurizing also on yes, site. We pasteurize on site. And was that tricky as you were trying to set up the equipment and the regulations? <laughs> like, did you have to, was that one of these, like everybody's sort of saying, sure, pasteurize you know like how <laughs> tricky was it to set that system up in the city it was yeah it was tricky i mean there's a you know there's the obvious steps that the milk has to go through before we can get it to the product mm-hmm. so it was always a question of like how much are we going to do up, up north how much are we going to bring down here mm-hmm. and eventually settled on having a vat pasteurizer in the space mm-hmm. which is a large enough piece of equipment to where it would have to go in before the walls were built so it was kind of like that was an making early decisions decision. in sort of a layered yeah. sort of way to where it's going to land mm-hmm. maybe at the point where we had to like suspend it from the ceiling to finish the floors out and everything to pass code but, um, but yeah, it was a difficult process. 
And yeah. can your customers see the vat? They yes. do have a way to. So the creamery, I mean, it's everything. much like this, where it's just all one window. Right. And it's actually a, a marble slab where I paddle all of the butter. And I cool. share that marble slab with the customer. So they can actually, when they're having their coffee, feel me kind of paddle all oh, of the butter, neat. which is super cool. So the slab, it's sort of like an indoor-outdoor pool. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, totally. In, in the hotels <laughs> of my youth. in between. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with major sanitation. <laughs> yes. All right. Very cool. Okay. This is amazing. And so it's been working. You have once a week you're doing this? We're doing, we're bringing milk in once a week. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, We pick milk up twice a week. Part of that gets separated up north. Um, And then I culture, so we pasteurize after we, or I'm sorry, we pasteurize, we separate the milk, and then we culture the milk and let it ferment for about two days. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I let it hard care for another two weeks before I actually churn it. So Got it. Um, it'll come down to the space after it's done fermenting. And I mm-hmm. do the rest of the curing kind of on the spot. In so the shop. butter is sort of held or I don't know. Mm-hmm. Do you, I, I, I've never actually asked this about butter, but do you refer to it as like aging? It seems like, no, you're not aging butter, but you're holding it. Exactly. We kind okay. of say curing. I don't sure. know hmm. uh, if that's like the correct technical term, but well, it does if ferment. You say it, <laughs> I'm considering it correct. You're the one, you make the butter. So to me, you're the expert. Uh, okay. Then in yeah. that case, I ferment it for about two days. So that's right. out in not heat necessarily, but in kind of like a 60 to 70 degree a warmer temperature. condition. Okay. And then when it goes into the walk-in, it basically, it doesn't stop the fermenting process, but it slows it way down. Right. And then I let it kind of get to the acidity that I want it to be, which takes another two weeks. About. Got it. And so you're culturing that. And so it's, it's, it's developing that cultured butter flavor. Yes. And do you salt it? I do. I do. I salt it in the churn. I've got a European style churn. It's basically an auger in a big metal box. Mm-hmm. Um, very technical term there. Mm-hmm. Big metal box. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I uh, churn it in there and then I clean it in there. So I mm-hmm. use ice water and all of that. And then I salt it with Himalayan salt. Oh, it. nice. Yeah. yeah. I've always, f- I, I've, I've been a part once I was a part of a butter sort of production, like R and D process, and salt was the trickiest thing, mm-hmm. because if your salt crystals are too fine, they disappear, yes. right? Yeah. And plus, salt is make is is uh, pulling out the moisture, moisture in a way, right? Mm-hmm. So, how much have you played around with that? How have you navigated? Did you did it take a while to land on the salt that you use? Yes, mm-hmm. a lot. Um, for the two years while we were under construction, I had two tiny kids with me. So I was just at home. I wasn't working at Tamal's mm-hmm. Farmside Creamery. I was actually at home like doing R&D constantly in a little KitchenAid with cl- yeah. milk from here, milk from here, different types of salt, different types of cultures and trying to land on the exact right. taste I was going for. That's kind of amazing that you did your R&D while you're taking care of two tiny yeah. babies, <laughs> so doing your fun. own R&D. Yeah. I won't get like too graphic, but I imagine maybe there's also some yes, cheese making going on there for the kids. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, but it's so cool that you were able to do that R&D at home, you know, in that smaller space. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. Yes. I think in retrospect, it, it seems very cool and sweet. And I think also at the time it was difficult. efficient. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. sure at the time it was nuts. Yeah. Yeah. But it's now I feel like I understand cream to a hmm. max, which as a cheesemaker before I was working with goat milk primarily, hmm. cream wasn't something that I necessarily knew a lot about. Right. Um, I came from Vermont before here and I we always made raw mm-hmm. butter mm-hmm. and it didn't need anything. It just, right. It just did all good. the magic yeah. on its own. Yeah. 
So I was trying to recreate that, making raw butter in my friend's kitchen and trying hmm. to recreate that taste and the texture and everything. And it's, it's um, again, something that's like ever changing. So yeah. you're always trying to catch up with it and make it the right. And would you say that was your inspiration that like Vermont butter you're I, referring to? Yeah. yeah. I, my, uh, grandmother grew up on a, a dairy farm in West Virginia and that's like mm. always been something close to my heart a mm-hmm. Jersey dairy farm she always talked about their eyelashes which I oh yeah they're think so is, precious yeah right? yeah <laughs> but it wasn't until after I lived in New York and then moved to Vermont that I started really coming into contact with dairy mm. as a whole but really focusing on butter right yeah very cool yeah now Wow, this is just making my mouth water. (laughs) And you're also making ghee, which we didn't talk about too much. But listeners, I am sitting here with ghee in front of me, which I'm very (laughs) excited about because it's one of my favorite products. Why ghee? I was just making a ton during the R&D time. um, And I didn't want the butter to go bad. So I was trying to Uh figure out a way where I could make it shelf stable, where I could just have it and use it and give it away. Mm -hmm. And... um, and how do you describe ghee for any listeners who aren't yeah. that familiar with ghee as a product? Ghee is basically clarified butter, but mm-hmm. it's clarified to a point where we're actually cooking the milk solids. So the, the oil and the milk solids separate and you want to kind of toast those milk solids and it gives it this beautiful nutty flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until very recently that I learned that you can make brown butter ghee, which I had made by accident at one point where oh, you basically just happy accident. burn it. <laughs> <laughs> I cooked it. This ghee in particular is like 36 hours cooked wow um but it tastes like sugar cookie without the sugar it's just like the best oh i can't wait to try it yeah (laughs) so in this r&d time david did you uh consume a lot of different butters and ghee yeah from the midwest so making biscuits was kind of a daily thing growing up love that yeah so i mean the more she could make the more i could cook my favorite little comfort foods that's awesome yeah i didn't hate it yeah so to jump to the other topic that we kind of talked about at the right at the break, I'm really curious to hear more about your employees and how you're harnessing the, that energy that you mentioned. You know, David, you mentioned that was one of the biggest surprises that you've found, a really delightful surprise, it sounds like, in that your staff has brought a lot to the table as you've gotten up and running. Sure. So would you say, you know, what would you say is your approach as, I mean, it sounds like you're on site. I take it you're both sort of managing all operations, including staff, which can be a real challenge. And um, how how do you approach that part of the work? Well, I think that Tamara, so Tamara's handling a lot of the HR portions of the business. So mm-hmm. she's seeing the kind of like the first impressions coming through the door and having done so much of it at the farm and dealing with so many people that are passionate about food and agriculture, mm-hmm. um, she's seeing a lot of that come through with the employees that are coming. It doesn't hurt also that we're paying a living wage and we're giving mm. health insurance to our employees. Wow. So we're trying to be responsible employers at That's the same awesome. time. And with that comes people that kind of have um, an advanced understanding of, hmm. you know, what's important to them, like a, like a, a place that they, they want to feel like they're amongst other people with those sort of ethics and moral standings Mm -hmm. and um so it's sort of a self-selecting group in that way it is it is and um with that have come people that have like already had a lot of education and background related to food um we have a baker that just moved back from istanbul and she was doing Mm -hmm. pastry school out there and she's brought all these amazing things like simit which is a a bagel from turkey simit that's the potato bagel no no uh, that's totally different bagel that's kind of been extended twice as long and twisted together 
further and put in sesame. They use a different sort of bath, which is a grape molasses. It's a really beautiful mm. food product. And they put those nice cheeses that they have over there, those mm-hmm. white cheeses. It's really incredible. Wow. But, I think yeah. giving people the creative freedom too. We have all this wonderful equipment and this yeah. like it's exposed. It's a basically a factory inside out. And we hmm. have this cool stuff that we want people to experiment with and bring their creativity to. We're making Cotija right now in the creamery just because Ashton, who I work with in the creamery, has always like wanted to learn how to make it. it. So like that's her passion right now. So that she's working so on, cool. on that. Yeah. Was that part of your goal setting out, which was like to to just sort of innovate constantly to have sort of an R&D approach to the production capabilities of the space? Exactly, exactly. I mean, aside from the standards that we're trying to give to people, because, you know, San Francisco is sort of a bagel desert, so Mm. we wanted to offer those sort of standards to people to get them back into... getting those things we have a lot of transplants and i can't tell you how many times i hear people from jersey new york yeah no, i've never had a good bagel in san francisco not um, yet <laughs> but also that that sort of creative spirit i'm an art schooler and so mm. bringing that creative spirit to food products i want and we want everyone to feel like they can bring their expertise and their history to the thing to the project too so um, yeah, that's what we have said to people from the start. If you have something you want to try, if you have something you want to do, mm-hmm. let's figure out how to market it. Let's make it. Let's see what everybody thinks and try it out. Yeah. A lot of that stems, too, from the farm, which is kind of like a sister project or sister affiliation. Right. And at the farm, it's always, like, exciting for people to try new things. And well, you want to try this new cheese or you want to try planting this or I mean hmm. Tamara and David have always been like cultivating the creative energy which is so great a, too. So at Tuluma Farms and would you say also Tamales Farmstead Creamery Same, yeah. the, the ethos is shared yes, this is absolutely consistent. And cross sure. pollination in that regard like hmm. we want people to go you want to see where the milk is actually coming from come with me like yeah. let's go take a look and see. Right yeah. like your retail education, staff education. your yeah. staff in the in the cafe have this opportunity to go up and see what's mm-hmm. going on yeah. sort of yes. first encouraged yeah mm-hmm. yeah so I want to ask you a little bit about living wage and health insurance. This is something we talk about a lot on air. I wish we talked about it even more. Um, it feels, you know, here in New York, the, the small business owners I talk to, you know, this is like a long-term goal. Uh, it's, it's rarely something, sadly, that I feel like businesses sort of build into the initial plan. Mm-hmm. So how are you pulling that off? Was that something you planned for from days zero and built around or what's definitely a hope from the conception Mm. um our cost of goods is extremely high because Mm -hmm. we're organic we're organic certified we're using the best quality milk the best quality flour across the board Mm -hmm. so because of that in turn we have to charge a real price for the product that we sell right and um you know, we we want to include that when we have so much pride in our product, whenever pride in our staff as well. And so um, it's just hand in hand. I mean, we're, mm-hmm. we feel like we're making a responsible product. We have to be responsible employers. So, yeah. Is this something that you broadcast to your customers in a visible way? How do you handle sort of that piece, especially when it comes to pricing? If people are like, You've got someone from New York who's used to a bagel that costs two seventy five or maybe even one seventy five, yeah. and they're like, "What is this?" Every yeah. day. Yeah, I mean, we've had to have some. We've had we had kickback, of course, with mm-hmm. the pricing, um, and Tamara's been doing our social media, and she's been very good about saying like, "We're this is real food with real people making it, right. real people that live in a city that's very expensive," and. Mm-hmm. 
we care about our food and we care about our people and this is and this is the true cost yeah, of it this is i the think real cost you know there's no gouging happening it's, here it's, it's like, tricky it's, it's like yeah. that the perception of food cost is so disparate from the reality absolutely right. So We're extremely yeah. fortunate, too, though, to have a customer base that appreciates not only They're the quality it. of the food, but the quality of the staff, mm-hmm. and um, they understand the model. Hmm. I mean, it's, de- it's not without having to educate some people, but it's uh, definitely been appreciated. Got it. Now, in terms of the space that you're in, I'm also sort of vaguely aware that there's some special... You're you're in something called the American Industrial Center, is that right? Mm-hmm. And is that you know when I was researching before the show and kind of exploring like where you are and what that space is, it sounds like that's a unique, almost it almost sounded like an incubator. But tell me a little bit about how that space operates and how it helps uh, has helped you to build this business. Sure. So the American Industrial Center used to be the American Can Company. Um, it's one of the only two. It's a million square feet. It's two buildings wow. occupying basically four city blocks, two blocks and two blocks with the road dividing the two. Um, and this is in San Francisco proper. In San proper. Francisco. Yeah. yeah on an industrial corridor heading south out of town. Okay. Um, only not even a half a mile from downtown. But um, it's the, they're the only two buildings that are zoned innovative industries. Hmm. And that's special because you can produce something on an industrial level, but still retain 15% ancillary retail component. So you can have people in and you can serve them food. You can have, you know, if you're a clothing maker or whatnot, we have gyms, museums, hmm. all kinds of different things. You can still have that interaction while producing at a larger scale. And hmm. with us being 7,000 square feet, it's obvious, you know, we're going to produce a lot of product, mm-hmm. but we want to get people in there and have that immersive experience. Hmm. So, we're, yeah, it's a really amazing space for that reason. So it sounds like there's a real community happening just even within these two buildings. Absolutely. Yes. And how long has that been in existence? Ooh, for a long time. I think the current owners bought it in the 70s. Wow. Um, it's only been in the last to say 10 years that they've started to open it up to makers to come in and start mm. new businesses so mm-hmm. we have everything from chocolatiers to granola makers to other bakeries Breweries, yeah. yeah restaurants amazing just all kinds of amazing things wow especially in a city with uh you know rent costs rivaling or even eclipsing new york i i think uh that seems really important is the cost of your space sort of more reasonable in any way or is it mostly just that you can do both things in one space so you get more value out of yeah Mm -hmm. it's also more reasonable Mm -hmm. wow that's so great yeah it is wow big draw I'm so happy for you. (laughs) And I need to book my ticket to San Francisco immediately. Yes, you do. do. Um, Okay, wow. Well, uh, as we get to the end of our episode, um, I have two two final questions. One is kind of, you know, geeky. I'm I'm a real, like, organizing tech geek. And also, maybe not tech. I, mm-hmm. I went through a bullet journal phase. But I'm always interested in asking people who have done, you know, incredible things, who've pulled things off, like what you're doing uh, with Daily Driver. Are there any systems or tools or processes, anything from an app that you love that has helped you in this time of craziness or you know, a ritual or something that you do that you feel like grounds you and has helped keep things sane? I'll let you answer that considering <laughs> I have a 
just a file folder full we, of crumbled paper. I love that. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's also important to hear too, okay. because I think it's important to know that you don't oh have to gosh. be so like crazy in order to pull stuff. Definitely up. not. I think we all have our own personal systems. Yeah, exactly. But we slack constantly. Mm, I mean, Slack. that's how mm-hmm. we all communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. And is that in your your whole staff's in on Slack too? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we Slack constantly, and we utilize Google. I mean, Google mm-hmm. Drive and all, all the, the G Suite the, stuff. The G Suite stuff is yeah. So yeah. all your documentation, all of that, you all you of your that. analysis is happening there. Mm-hmm. I still print and write things out. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the worst Hadley's out of our whole career. <laughs> you know what? It's important okay, to have somebody you. who is not just looking at everything through a screen. I really yeah. think it, it yeah. is important. I love that. And my next question is, how many bagels do you eat a week? Oh, gosh. Ooh. <laughs> um, how many days four, are we open? Fourteen. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it's a lot. I think I mean, our three-year-old eats more than we do. Yeah. Well, she eats halves. So <laughs> she eats halves. Just the top half. She wants a bagel, no seeds, extra cream cheese. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. A kid who knows what <laughs> she likes. <laughs> All she cares about. Is yeah. there a family preference between uh, bagel toppings? Oh, you'd have a preference. Oh, I, that's more of your tomato, avocado, cream cheese. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm always a salt bagel with tomato, avocado, and cream cheese. But that was even before I was baking. I mean, that's kind of my that's standard. That's how forever. I. That's my litmus test for a bagel shop. Wow. Yeah. But I'm also like a pumpernickel fan. Me too. The Barney Greengrass kind of. Pump deal. is my number yeah, one. Yeah, right? so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it changes all the time. I think that I was like, a, I, I loved everything when we started. Now I, it's kind of my least favorite, mm. and I'm more on the pumpernickel rye side. So, But it's nice to have that many options so you can move totally. around and try different things. Totally. Yeah. Changes. It's like Hadley's focusing on how the butter changes with the right. season. David's like, this is my sesame season. Okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think this is a good, this is really a nice match. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great. Well, Hadley, David, thank you both so much for joining me on air today. Thank you. This was so fun. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this week's show. For those of you in the Bay Area or anyone traveling there, we'd love to see your photos of Daily Driver. Tag us on Twitter and Instagram at CuttingTheCurd or shoot us an email with your photos at CuttingTheCurd at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week with more Cutting the Curd. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.